again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there to, to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians and, and chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. should have said earlier, if you're working with the church Bible in front of you, it's page 1187, um, if you need help finding that. Last week, Drew led us through First uh, Thessalonians and, and chapter 2, reminding us how Paul and his colleagues ha- had worked and behaved so diligently and lovingly in the short time they were with the Christians there in Thessalonica. Our passage this morning moves us on from there to, to see how Paul and his friends felt whenever they were separated and had to leave the folks there so quickly. I don't know about you over the last two or three weeks as we've thought about this letter, what are are some of the themes that have stood out for you? But one that that certainly stands out in this letter is the real and deep concern that Paul had for these Christians. Regularly, he's used that language of, of family to speak of them. And he does it again here in the opening verse of our passage this morning in chapter two and verse 17. He says, but brothers and sisters... When we were orphaned by being separated from you, begins by by recognizing the family bond as as brothers and sisters in Christ. But then that, how they were torn away so quickly, it feels like they've been orphaned from their Christian family there in Thessalonica. It's painful. There's a feeling almost of of helplessness and, and loss as this family has been separated because of opposition to the work of the gospel. And it's that period of, of separation that we're going to think about this morning under three headings. And the first of those that we want to consider is the concern that Paul had, his concerns. And there are a number of concerns we want to highlight this morning that Paul, I think, was, was thinking about as he was separated from these believers. And the first of those was the opposition that he faced, the opposition that they, they faced. In chapter 2 and and verse 14, uh, Paul wrote, we saw last week, you suffered from your own people. That points us back to the events there in Acts chapter 17, where there was hostile and violent opposition. Whenever people responded in faith and put their trust in Jesus when they heard the gospel. But even now, Paul, the main preacher of the gospel, is gone. There's still ongoing opposition from the community that's based there in Thessalonica. In chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul writes about these trials that they're suffering. He says, even these trials have the the ability to unsettle you in your faith. Then in verse 4, he says this, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you know. These Thessalonian believers, even though Paul and his friends have been separated from them, they continue to face tough opposition because now they are following Jesus. But Paul also in in this passage recognizes that the opposition doesn't just come from the community. He sees it as as something much more involved. In fact, he recognizes there's a spiritual battle going on as well. In chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul says that that while they tried time and time again to get back and see these Christians, he says, but Satan blocked our way. 
We don't know how that that manifested itself in in preventing them getting back to see their friends. Commentators have many different ideas. We won't take time to think about those this morning. But Paul is so sure that Satan is behind his inability to get back and see these Thessalonians. And then that idea of the spiritual battle comes up again in chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul writes of his concern for these believers. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Paul knows that Satan is real. He was passionately concerned for these Christians for he knows that that Satan seeks to draw people away from following after the one true God. Satan is the tempter. We know that, don't we? As we look at the Gospels, particularly in Matthew chapter 4 and and Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And that's a pattern we see repeated as we, we read through Scripture. We know it from our own lives as well that so too he tempts those of us who are following Jesus to get distracted distracted by something else or or to give up following after Jesus for something that that seems easier or something that seems more appealing. Leon Morris describes Satan as being, can you move that on for me, Harry, please? Leon Morris describes Satan as being always opposed to God and to man's best interests. His activities in the realm of the spirit are seen in the taking away the good seed from the heart of men, as we see in Mark chapter 4 and verse 15, and sowing evil people in the world. We see that in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 39. As the God of this world, he continues to blind the minds of the unbelieving. We see that in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. And so Paul is so concerned for these believers with the threats the lies, the menacing uh, opposition that's coming from the community, but that ultimately flow from a much greater spiritual battle. Paul's concerned, is this something that's going to, to destabilize these Christians and ultimately lead them to turn away from following Jesus as their Lord and Savior? The Bible's clear that opposition is something that Christians can't avoid. But rather, it's something we need to be aware of and something that we need to be prepared for. Opposition, yes, from from those people around us, and we see it so clearly, don't we? Um, How society wants to to challenge all what God puts forward in his word as being the true way of, of life. And ultimately, the the spiritual battle we face, that's why Paul there in Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of that need to put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because as Christians, we will and we do face opposition from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we need to remember that that power and opposition is never final. It's so important that we we keep in mind that if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are on the victory side. Jesus has defeated Satan. He's defeated Satan and all his minions at the cross. But yet as a defeated foe, Satan will do all he can to throw us off course. 
And so time and again, we need to be on our guard, standing in the power of the risen Savior and following his call upon our lives. And as Paul thinks about the opposition that the the believers there are facing, I think there are two main ways that that he's concerned as how this might manifest itself among these believers. And I think there are areas that we need to be aware of as well and reminded of at times. Firstly, there's the false potential that false information can lead to fractured relationships. False information can lead to fractured relationships and division. We thought last week how Paul's opponents there in in Thessalonica had been spreading lies and raising questions among the believers about Paul, saying things like, if Paul really cared for you, surely he'd, he'd still be here. You know that Paul, he's just in it for himself. It's what... He gets out of it. That's all he's interested in. He comes to an area for a period of time and when he gets what he wants, then he he leaves town and goes somewhere else. Surely if this message that 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 Paul was speaking was true, then he'd be here. He wouldn't have taken off at the first sign of trouble. And so can you see how, how that had the potential to discourage these new believers? This misinformation with the potential to lead to division among these believers thinking negatively of Paul and his friends, maybe not wanting anything to do with them again in the future. But Paul is so clear for him, it's not out of sight, out of mind. He he wants to be with them there in in verse 17 of chapter 2. We've mentioned it already. He says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, Yes, we we were taken away from you physically, but you were always on our hearts and you continue to be. He says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Paul wants them to know, I, I was making every effort to be with you. Can you hear his passion, longing to be with them? You see, he knows that division is something that can creep in so easily among God's people and cause such discouragement and cause such harm for the gospel. Satan is the father of lies. And so Paul is genuinely concerned for these young believers. He's concerned that they'd be taken in, that they would distance themselves from Paul, from his colleagues and the message of the gospel, and potentially other Christians from other localities who had come to trust Jesus as their savior, even where Paul had been involved in in founding local churches and, and seeking to support them. This was a real concern for Paul being separated from them. And sadly today, there's still potential for division among God's people. I'm sure most of us have have heard or or maybe even been impacted directly by division that has crept in among God's people in a local fellowship. And that's why we need to be on our guard. We need to remember and do all we can as members of a local body here in in Gilnahurk and also in the wider church of Jesus Christ to guard against any division. Isn't that what the writer to the Hebrews says? Strive for peace 
with everyone, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We need to be on our guard, on our guard about what we listen to about our Christian brothers and sisters, whether that's what someone says to us, or whether that's when some unhelpful thought or idea about someone comes into our mind and we're tempted to allow it to fester and to cause friction and division. Paul was aware that division was a real challenge for a church. And so we need to be on our guard against that as well. But then there's a second area that I think Paul's concerned where this opposition could cause trouble for for the believers there in Thessalonica. And that's seen in in chapter 3 with regards to suffering and the potential that that had to lead to a fragile faith. Suffering can lead to a fragile faith. And so Paul and his friends decide out of their great concern for these believers that they're going to send Timothy back to check on them, to bring an update back about how they're doing. At the end of verse 2 in chapter 3, Paul, Timothy's purpose is clear. He's going to strengthen and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. The opposition and, and pressure that these Christians are facing for following Jesus, it's squeezing them. They're getting it tough. Paul was concerned. How were they going to respond? I think what Richard Phillips says is is really helpful in this. Paul thus realized that our afflictions must move us in one way or another. His concern was that trials should move believers to live closer to God and be more careful about their lives rather than move them to discouragement or apostasy. You see, suffering can move us in in one or two ways as, as Christians, either away from God, distancing ourselves from him, or rather into a deeper trust as we recognize who he is, recognize that he's sovereign, recognizing that he's faithful, recognizing that he's loving all the time. And Paul's short time with these believers, he says, I I taught you that as Christians, we would face difficulty and persecution and and being away from them. He's wondering how they're bearing up under that opposition and difficulty. In verse 5 of chapter 3 again, he shows his concern for their faith. He says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. And so Timothy was sent. Timothy was sent to these believers to see how they were doing in their faith. But, but more than that, we see in verse 2 that there are two main things he goes to do. He goes to strengthen and encourage them. To strengthen them to still stand for God in the midst of opposition. To encourage them not, not to be stuck in their faith, but to continue to shine brightly and to live out their Christian life where God has placed them. We aren't given any details of how he went about this, but we can guess, I think, quite well from their previous approach that the word of God would have been central. As he went, he would have pointed to the truth of of who God is and the salvation that believers enjoy, the love and faithfulness of our Savior for us, no matter how things might look to us. 
We know also, as we've read through this letter so far, and indeed all of Paul's other writings, that, that prayer was key element in their ministry. And so surely Timothy would have taken time to, to pray with them, to encourage them and that, to remind them that, that brothers and sisters, including Paul and, and Titus are, are, and Silas, are, are praying for them as well, assuring them of the prayers of the saints. wonder how that applies to us today, probably firstly by asking a very straight question, how is our faith? Is it something that we're concerned about, something that we, we think about, something that we pay any attention to? Is it something that we seek to have strengthened and encouraged by making time to hear God's word week by week as Drew preaches it here? Is it something we take time to do, to spend time in God's word at home in the midst of our, our busy lives to get to know God more? Do we take the time we ought to, to pray, to recognize our great dependence on Almighty God for all that we encounter in our lives to be strengthened by him? To think about passages like that great passage in Hebrews chapter 12 of the heroes of faith who continued to trust God in spite of the difficult circumstances and opposition that they faced and who proved God is who he says he is as they walked by faith and not by sight. I think this passage as well not just challenges us about our own faith, but it asks the question, are you concerned about other people's faith as well? Are we interested in strengthening and encouraging others in their faith, our children, our fellow members in the local fellowship, our Christian friends. Certainly the, the pastor and, and church leaders have a, have a role to play in this, but I think each of us do. One-to-one -one as we seek to function as the body of Christ. And then what about further afield again beyond the locality where we're placed? That's why it was so good the other week to be, be reminded of the needs of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and have those highlighted because they know truly what it is to be persecuted for their faith and following Jesus. And so the challenge comes, are, are, we, are we focused enough? Do we have concern enough for those beyond our, our locality and, and our contact sphere? Are we concerned enough to, to pray, to support, to correspond, or, or even to go if the opportunity arises, to go and encourage brothers and sisters in their faith around our world? The truth is we all have so many things that, that do concern us, many things that are really important and, and weigh heavy on each of us. But I wonder as we, we think about Paul's concerns here this morning, will it, will it help us maybe to refocus, recalibrate a little bit and see the wider spectrum of things that we, we should be thinking about? Realities that we should be, be passionate about guarding against and, and getting involved in and acting on as well. Paul was concerned for these believers as he was separated from them. But thankfully... Timothy returns, and that concern turns to what we can call comfort. Verse 6, Paul recalls, But Timothy has just now come to us from you 
and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's so encouraged. Their faith is still vibrant in spite of the opposition that they face. They're still going. And then in the second half of verse 6, he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Division and fractures haven't crept in. They've refused to believe those outside voices which have tried to cause so much trouble. And do you see the impact that that has on Paul and his friends there in verse 7? He writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. In that period of of separation, Paul and his friends felt the life being sucked out of them because of their concerns for those that they held so dear. But now he says, now we've got this wonderful report. We live. We're excited because God is still at work within you and your faith is real and true. He goes on to say, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? That word for encouraged in in verse 8 in the NIV is translated as as comforted in the ESV. And so think about it. Paul's not sitting in comfortable circumstances himself here. He's facing persecution himself. He's facing opposition for the gospel, but yet he rejoices. Rejoices in this good news before God that their faith is vibrant and real. They're keeping going on. And as well, that division and fracture haven't crept in. And you might imagine that that would be a good place for Paul, or even for me, to stop at this stage. um, Because it's positive. It's really good, good news that the the concerns that they have have been, been turned to comfort. But there's one more thing Paul needs to tell them. Because he says it's great to hear this. But the reality is you need to keep going. You still need to continue. Continue doing this. And not just continue doing it, but continue growing in these areas within your Christian life. You see, they're still not the finished article, just as we aren't. They'll still face opposition. They'll still encounter discouragement, which has the potential to throw them off course. Yes, Paul has been encouraged by this report about their faith. But he still wants them to grow in their faith. Look at verse 10. He says, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Yes, he wants to see them. He wants to catch up and find out about their families and about what's happening with them. But above all, his main purpose is to supply what's lacking in their faith. What does that mean? Well, he's going to teach them more from God's word. To instruct them in the gospel so that their faith will will grow. You see, it's only in, in God's word that we can truly learn more about who God really is. And why we can trust him. And how we can continue to walk in his ways. Even when at times things look out of control and it doesn't make sense. That's what Paul said to 
in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so just like those Thessalonian believers, we're the same today. Our goal should be to grow in faith and ultimately that's through the work of, of God's word in our lives as a spirit applies it to us. But as well as growing in faith, notice also in verse 12 that he prays that their love would abound more and more. That they would love God even more. That they would love one another deeper. And that already Paul has said and back in chapter 1 and verse 3, he rejoices in their labor of love. In chapter 3 and verse 6, as, as Timothy has come back, he's reported the good news of your faith and love. But Paul says this is no time to rest on your laurels. You don't plateau just because you've proved that you're a loving people. Instead, he says, your love for one another, indeed your love for everyone, it shouldn't just reach a certain level, but it, it should overflow. It should be something that can't be contained. See, love in the Christian life is such a, a key factor and in the life of the church it's something that guards against division it's something that cares and supports one another it's something that sees the importance of, of working together and bearing one another's burdens and just like paul said in that great passage in love in first corinthians 13 we can we can appear things are going well we can have all the talent all the ability of the day but he says without love we're just like a clanging gong and a resounding cymbal, making a lot of noise, but ultimately of no eternal use. And so the challenge comes that even though you might think that you or the church are doing well when it comes to love, the Apostle Paul would remind us not to get settled at that, but continue to seek to grow in love so that it's overflowing impacting one another and many others as we look to the love that Christ has for us and that overflows around us. And then the section closes with this encouragement to keep going on in holiness. Verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Do you see that theme again? This world isn't all that there is. So Paul says, we, we pray. We pray that God might work in your life, that you'll be found living for Jesus in holiness. Because that's who you are, Paul says. You are one of his holy ones, if you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Sometimes we translate it as a saint, not because of anything we've done, not because we've lived a blameless or holy life. None of us can do that in and of ourselves. Salvation alone comes through faith in Jesus. He's the only one who's ever lived a perfectly holy and blameless life came into this world to live that life that we don't. And ultimately that life would take him with the purpose of going to the cross 
there willingly giving his life on the cross to, to shed his blood and to die in the place of sinners. But praise God, he, he rose again, opening the way of, of salvation for all who come and put their faith and trust in Jesus. That was the hope of these Thessalonian believers. That was the purpose of, of Paul and his friends facing such opposition for proclaiming the gospel. And so Paul wanted them to have this focus. Life's tough, but have this focus that a day is coming when Jesus, our Savior, will return. There's so much better, says Paul, in this world to come. And when Jesus returns, Paul seems to intimate here, and we'll think more on this in the next couple of weeks, that as Jesus comes, he'll come with the spirits of those who have died. And what an encouragement that is, that while we do struggle here on earth at times, we are destined for perfect holiness when Christ returns. No more sin, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more division. What an encouragement to keep going. Paul longs to see those Thessalonian believers there presented before the Lord Jesus. He's already said that in chapter 2 and, and verse 19, that his joy will be full as he sees them, his glory passed to Jesus, presented blameless before him. That's the hope that we have if we're trusting in Jesus. But in the meantime, Paul would encourage us to have this double vision. That clarity that in this world where we do have concerns, but we know that we have comfort because we can trust our God, that he's working in spite of how things look and that we can keep going, continuing to grow, continuing to live until he takes us home to be with himself forever. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we give you thanks that it does, didn't just speak to first century Christians, but continues to speak to us as your people today. Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts to your word. We recognize there are many things that lie heavy upon us that cause us concern. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to deal rightly with those and, and treat them rightly and wisely. But Lord, maybe today as we, we hear your word, we recognize the importance of, of a refocus on that which concerns us, particularly relating to spiritual things. Help us, Lord, to lay ourselves open before you and allow you, Lord, to challenge us in our lives. Help us, Lord, to know the comfort that we have in Jesus. And as we come to the table in a moment or two, to reflect and rejoice in that. And indeed, Lord, that you would help us to continue, to keep going, to keep going where you've placed us, Lord, in our, our families, and our work situations, and as a church, not by accident, here, Lord, to live for you and for your honor and glory. Help us, Lord, to respond to you and to worship you, to give us, to give you our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.